Second episode of Travel It's Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mariella Nugent Lee, and we are in the twelfth season of Travel It's Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And tonight, we proudly present the co-founders of Grassroots Baseball, which has published two handsome hardcover books about the roots of America's national pastime. So welcome Jeff Idelson and Gene Fruth to Travelage Radio. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with Jeff, you guys. Glad to have you as well. Have some great Thank you so much, you Dan. Always a pleasure. Okay, Gene. Let's start with you. You've traveled the world documenting the game of baseball. Do you approach your photography in a different way when you're shooting internationally as opposed to when you're shooting a major league game? Uh, Absolutely, uh, Dan. When I'm documenting the amateur game around the world, what we call the grassroots game, most of the time I am taking a much different approach than when I'm shooting a major league game. For my grassroots work, I'm much more interested in showing a sense of place geography, topography. I want the picture, I want all the pictures for that project to tell a story and ideally show the culture. And the country that's been the furthest away from home that you visited is Japan, right? Where you've documented baseball at both ends of the spectrum, from the WBC to opening day of Little League in Tokyo. Tell us about those experiences. Yeah, Mary Ellen, I I visited Japan uh, several times. My most memorable visit uh, was in 2016. I was there to shoot the World Baseball Classic, but I also wanted to document the grassroots game like I do whenever I travel. And I found Mm -hmm. an opportunity to shoot a Little League game uh, in Tokyo, um, and and they were celebrating opening day of Little League. And so I shot their opening ceremonies, and they gave me uh, a choice of two games that I could shoot that were close enough to my hotel and to the Tokyo Dome so I could um, shoot the WBC, the World Baseball Classic, later on in the day. And the game was so culturally different than what you see in America. You know, it was just a delightful experience. Everything about it, the preparation of the players, the coaches, the formal respect shown to the empire, the the snack shack, you know, I had a miso soup. Um, It was just, you know... It was just such a great experience. And then fast forward five months later to August of that same year, I was traveling to Williamsport, Pennsylvania for the Little League World Series that happens every year. And I was walking the parade route. I hear my name being called. And I'm looking around, and it's a group of Japanese families. And as I walk closer, I realize it was those parents that had met that opening day of Little League in Tokyo, Japan. 
And they oh. let me know their team made it. That game that I shot, their team made it all the way to the Little League World Series. I was just stunned. And then to take it even further, I was there for two weeks in Williamsport, and they ended up winning the entire thing. So I shot their very first day of Little League in Japan and then their final game with their championship in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's so cool. Now, Jeff, baseball and culture and locales around the globe comprised Gene's first book, Baseball Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin. And it's a beautiful photography book that features 15 hotbeds of baseball with Hall of Famers and other major league stars contributing heartfelt essays about what it was like to grow up in those regions. And one of the places included Mobile, Alabama, home to so much baseball history. What can share about the city by the bay in the southwest corner of Alabama? Well, Mary Ellen, Mobile, Alabama is a city of, of just 185,000 residents, but the amount of baseball talent that's emerged from the city by the bay has been impressive. <clears throat> you think of guys like Amos Otis, Jack, uh, Jake Peavy, and Juan Pierre, Cleon Jones, who squeezed mm-hmm. the final out to allow the Mets to win the 1969 World Series championship. Their first is from there. But what's most impressive is the fact that there are five Hall of Famers who were born in Mobile. Negro League's great Satchel Page. Sweet Swingin' Billy Williams, Stretch McCovey, The Wizard Ozzie Smith, and the incomparable Henry Aaron. So there must have been something in the water. Um, Fifteen years ago, the Hall of Fame helped with the process of moving Hank's childhood home from the street where he grew up to a spot uh, right beside the Mobile Bay Bears ballpark. We turned it into a museum, and it's definitely worth seeing. So if you get down there... Uh, you'll definitely see this museum, and you'll, uh, which was Ch- Hank's childhood home. And Hank wrote the, the opening essay for Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin from Mobile. Jean took an incredibly poignant photograph of his home that's in the book as well. She invited four of the historically black high school baseball teams in Mobile to come to the house on an off day to help honor an icon who grew up in the same place they did. So these players from B.C. Rain, Blount, LaFleur, and Vigor High Schools all showed up. Gene left the uh, rocking chair on the front porch empty as a tribute to Henry, and uh-huh. it's just a beautiful photograph in a great museum. Mm-hmm. Jeff, Hank Aaron played winter ball in Puerto Rico, which, like Mobile, is also home to five Hall of Famers. So tell us about baseball in Puerto Rico and the legacy of Roberto Clemente, the first player to make the Hall of Fame from that island. Well, Dan, you're right. Puerto Rico uh, has got a hotbed of talent for baseball as well. And when you think of Major League Stars playing today, you think of Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, and Francisco Lindor. We're all from Puerto Rico. And like Mobile, like you said, Dan, there's five Hall of Famers who grew up in Puerto Rico. Uh, One of them, Robbie Alomar, grew up on the southern coast in Salinas. And the other four were raised in the north end of the island. Edgar Martinez, who was born in New York, grew up in Dorado. Uh, Padre Rodriguez grew up in Vega Baja, Orlando Cepeda in Santorce, and the great one, Roberto Clemente, was from Carolina, which is just outside of San Juan. And the Hall of Fame right fielder who died tragically while delivering earthquake relief supplies to Nicaragua on New Year's Eve in 72 is revered in Puerto Rico. And, Gene, you really should share your story of spending Christmas in Carolina with the Clementes. Oh, yeah, that was an incredible time for me. I was in Puerto Rico to do a photo essay uh, on Roberto Clemente and to document everywhere where he first played baseball, where he went to school, the church he got married in, um, uh, who he played with, and just 
and then uh, the site where the plane went down um, off of Puerto Rico, and I had the opportunity to spend time with Vera Clemente, and it was um, it was Christmas uh, Christmas Eve when I first went to her home, and she was just so generous with her time and meeting her sons, and I got to um, photograph all of these artifacts that they had um, at the home. And then she told me that um, they, uh, on the eve of when the plane crashed, they all gather at that spot because I couldn't find the exact location to photograph um, where the plane went down. And she said, though private, her family goes there every year and they throw flowers in the water and they say a prayer for Roberto. And um, I asked her if it would be possible for me to document the family and her, um, you know, at the site. And uh, they said yes. And it was just an incredible experience for me being there with them and um, shooting them, throwing the flowers in. And then when it was time to say the, the prayer, they asked me to put my camera down and to hold hands with them and say the prayer with them. So it's a, one of the biggest moments for me as a photographer being you know, included in something like that. And it's, um, Vera was very special to me, and I got to see her many years after when she would give the Roberto Clemente Award to all different ballparks and she is dearly missed. We're talking tonight with Jeff Idelson and Jean Bruce about their book, Grassroots Baseball. Jean, one of the countries you've visited many times is Cuba, which is renowned not only for baseball but for cultural arts as well. So a two-part question. First, what is it like shooting baseball there, and what are some of the challenges you face? And second, have you had a chance to photograph cultural events in Cuba? Oh, Cuba is probably my all-time favorite place to both visit and to shoot baseball. Any oh. ballpark you go to visit there, oh, I just love it. I've been there many times, and I can't wait to go back. It's just filled with passionate fans who love the game, the players on the field, little kids to professionals. They just play with this mm. joy. I mean, you could feel the passion of baseball. You know, it's considered the, the national sport of Cuba and, um, you know, the passion and the pride that they play with and the support from the followers across the country. It's really just um, such a deep emotional connection to the sport. So it's certainly my favorite place. And you can, and it's, baseball is everywhere. You can see kids swinging bats, and if they don't have a bat, they have a piece of wood or a ball or a bottle cap. They don't care. So, I mean, my my problem with visiting Cuba is there's never enough time because I have so many of the things that I want to do there. It's uh, the jazz musicians from Cuba or even some of my favorite jazz clubs is just incredible to visit. And the art, I have, I've had a chance to meet many artists in Cuba and my entire home over the years is now filled with all kinds of art from Cuba that I slowly brought back with me when I was able to, you know, and having a budget and um, now when I look at my walls or I look at, you know, maybe some small sculpture from an artist who I got to visit and develop a personal experience, I'm sure you feel the same with all your travels. When you bring back something from a place and it's, it's tied in with your trip and you have all these memories, it's so much more special than, say, you know, just buying a painting in a, a store or in a, in a gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's personal connection to the artist and, so each one has a memory. So 
And then as a photographer, I mean, anybody who goes to Cuba, we're all photographers. You can't take a bad picture in Cuba. There's just so many pictures to be made. You know, Havana wandering the streets, the vintage cars, old guys playing dominoes on the street, you know, young lovers kissing along the Malacan, you know, the seawall that um, you're making me want to go back right now. I'm making myself want to go back. Jeff, Gene's first book came out in 2019 as you were retiring from the Hall of Fame after 25 years. The two of you teamed up to form Grassroots Baseball as a nonprofit, and your first project focused on baseball along the famous U.S. Highway Route 66. What was the impetus to form Grassroots Baseball, and why start on Route 66? Well, Dan, Jean approached me with the idea uh, with the concept of taking her book, uh, Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin, and turning it into a program whose mission is to give a voice to amateur baseball and to grow the game at the youngest levels. And we were both at a point in our lives where we wanted to give back to baseball, the sport we both love above all. And it took me all of about five minutes to say yes when she asked. And baseball <laughs> and Route 66 share a connection to American history. Both are deeply rooted pillars of American culture, and both are about opportunity. And what we learned is that the passion, the devotion, and commitment to the national pastime along the route that runs through the heartland of our country really runs deep. There is a lot of baseball all along the Will Rogers Highway. Now, Jeff, America's Highway runs through Oklahoma, where so many baseball players were born. Among them is the New York Yankees Hall of Fame switch-hitting center fielder, Mickey Mantle, who hails from Commerce. What did you discover in that small town in the northeast corner of the state? And as someone who worked for the Yankees and knew Mickey personally, did it have special meaning? Mary Ellen, it really did. When you, when, you, uh, when you drive into Commerce, it's truly time stood still. And I felt that at any moment, Mickey might pop out from behind a building and say hello. <laughs> Uh, it's really, really, it's really unusual. The town's industry was zinc and lead mining in the early 20th century, and mining is what Mutt Mantle, who was Mickey's dad, uh, that was his profession for many years. And today, the house and barn at 319 Quincy Street, where Mickey grew up and learned to switch hit, are still there. It's where he used the backstop as a barn. And the story goes that once Mutt got home from a long day in the mines, he'd throw to Mickey right-handed, and Mickey would hit lefty, and then his grandfather would throw left-handed, and Mickey would hit righty. And a hit below the house window was a single, above was a double, on the roof a triple, and over the house a home run. (laughs) And as Mickey once said, I was the only kid in town who didn't get in trouble for breaking windows. Gene has a a wonderful photograph in in the Route 66 book of the Commerce High School baseball team standing outside of the house and barn, as a salute to the Hall of Fame center fielder. And if you make the trek, you'll find several other tributes in commerce to celebrate their favorite son. For instance, there's a statue of Mickey beyond the center field wall of his high school baseball field. One of the main drags is called Mickey Mantle Boulevard. And there's a water tower that's painted with Yankee pinstripes and a large number seven. Experiencing that environment from where Mickey was raised was incredibly meaningful to me. Oh, my God. And, Jean, was the photography different for your Route 66 project versus the others? And if so, how? 
Well, like my earlier grassroots baseball work, my job with grassroots baseball Route 66 was to show as you travel along Route 66 from Chicago to Santa Monica, that although baseball is played the same way everywhere, baseball looks different in different places. Mm -hmm. Urban cities like Chicago, small rural towns, uh, such as Baxter Spring, Kansas. You know, so I told different stories in Oklahoma than I did in Amarillo, Texas. And the deserts mm-hmm. in Arizona certainly look and feel very different than the beaches of Santa Monica. And the cultures are very different as you travel the route. And I also got to flex some different photography muscles, which was fun for me doing this project. I got to shoot all the Americana all along the route, the murals in Joplin, Missouri, you know, lots of neon mm-hmm. vintage motels, the Arch in St. Louis, the Big Tech Steakhouse, and if you eat a 72-ounce steak with all the fixings under an hour, you get it for free. You know, and then all these incredible <laughs> landmarks, you know, from uh, Wrigley Field in Chicago to the Rose Bowl in California. So it was uh, just a terrific project, you know, to tie these two together and shoot all this Americana. Oh, how fun. I want to tell our listeners, you're listening to Travelish Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Eugen Lee. Check us out on iTunes, blogtalkradio.com, or the Travelish Radio Facebook page. And we're talking tonight with Jeff Idelson and Gene Fruth about their book, Grassroots Baseball. New Mexico is another state through which Route 66 winds, from Tocumcari to Albuquerque to Gallup. Gene, tell us a little about Route 66 New Mexico and why it is known as the land of enchantment. Mm, with the Sandia Mountains, the light was so beautiful and all through New Mexico, this pretty light, and then the vibrant uh, hot air balloon community. There's so many fun things to do in New Mexico. So it certainly has rightfully earned the nickname uh, Land of Enchantment. And, you know, Route 66, by and large, parallels the um, I-40 that goes across the state state from Glen Rio to Enzin Gallup. And it's made up of all these small towns, and they have really some wonderful examples of vintage Americana, the this Blue Swallow Motel in Tucumcari, which opened, uh, I think, in 1939, and it has a uh, has all this this vintage neon signing, you know, 100% refrigerated oh. air kind of thing, you know. And the, um, it was also the motel that was an inspiration behind uh, the Cozy Cone Motel and the Disney movie Cars. So we felt the Cars oh. movie kind of throughout Route 66, which was kind of fun. And then there's the El Rancho Hotel in Gallup that opened in 1937, and that was just a temporary, it was a place for filmmakers and actors, so I was really interested in seeing that and documenting that. And then uh, in the early years, Route 66 traveled to Santa Fe, and that's where we documented baseball, and my first time of documenting baseball on a Pueblo the Tasuki Pueblo, oh. and they have their own league, and there's many Pueblo teams in New Mexico. And uh, huh. so that was a, a really a terrific cultural experience for, for both of us and, uh, you know, having the honor of being allowed on the Pueblo and, and documenting it. And then, of course, the annual balloon, International Balloon Fiesta, which was um, has taken place, I think, since the early 70s and, um, it was just really exciting. We waited three years. The project was three years, and it was our very last shoot, and it was certainly worth it. We finally got to the Albuquerque. It was canceled because of COVID. So we got the very last shoot for the book was uh, 
seeing 500 hot air balloons, you know, just light up the sky. And we were in a media balloon and just documented and made some great pictures for that. It was the very last we asked the publisher to hold a place in the book for the picture. So we made a few nice ones, and it was a very satisfying feeling to end with this balloon fiesta. Mm. Jeff, you lived in Cooperstown, a small town located 250 miles north of New York City for 26 years. It's a village with a population of 1,800 year-round residents and one stoplight. Did you find any small towns along Route 66 that reminded you of Cooperstown? Oh, Dan, Route 66 is just is dotted with lots of small towns, uh, 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 you know, that kind of remind me of Cooperstown. I think by far the smallest town we saw was Oatman, Arizona, which is right by the California border. It's an old town with more boroughs than people. And I think the latest <laughs> census survey had the population at 43. Uh, not quite like Cooperstown, but pretty small. And it's not often I find a town smaller than Cooperstown. I think the one that reminded me most of Cooperstown is in Kansas, and Gene mentioned it. Uh, Route 66 winds through Kansas for all of 13 miles, and one of the towns that it winds through is called Baxter Springs. And it's uh, in the southeast corner of the state, and it's where both Jesse James and Bonnie and Clyde stopped to rob banks quite some time ago. Uh, it's a town with a couple of barber shops, a convenience store, two museums, and a few places to eat. But the centerpiece of the town is a baseball diamond, much like Double Bay Field in Cooperstown. And there's one central groundskeeper named Wayne Metcalf, who's 85. He's been taking care of the field and running Little League for decades. We were there for opening day of Little League two years ago. And I think, I mean, Gene, you can correct me, but I think the entire town was in the stands. Uh, Baxter Springs is also where a 16-year-old Mickey Mantle was discovered by Yankee scout Tom Greenway uh, while playing for the Baxter Spring Whiz Kids, a semi-pro team made up of predominantly uh, mining people. And, Gene, as you were completing your shooting schedule for the Route 66 book, you were already starting to think about your next project, right? Grassroots Baseball Women? Grassroots Baseball Women. Yeah, tell us a bit about why you and Jeff chose to focus on girls and women in baseball. And where do you expect that your travels will take you with this project? Well, as we were finishing up the Route 66 project, uh, one of our final shoots for California included a game between two all-girls baseball teams. It was the first time I ever photographed an all-girls baseball team. I photographed girls on boys little league teams or one girl on a team you know on a team with all boys but this is the first time and it was the los angeles monarchs and the san diego mustangs and they played under the baseball for all umbrella and that's an organization that builds gender equity by creating opportunities for girls to play to coach to lead in baseball and um and grow participation uh, of women and girls in the game after that shoot, it was we thought long and hard about this lesser-known aspect of, grass, of the grassroots game, girls and women in baseball, and decided this should be our focus. And so along with Ken Griffey, Jr. and uh, world-renowned pioneer baseball journalist Claire Smith, we made the announcement in March of last year that we would devote the next three years to promoting the past, present, and future of girls and women in baseball on and off the field, and around the globe. And we've just spent the last year sharing just great success stories from the home front, Justine Siegel, the founder of Baseball for All, Kellyanne Jenkins, who pitched at Chatham University, 
all all men's uh, college baseball team. Olivia Pichardo, also all men's college baseball team, played at Bra- playing at Brown University right now. And mm-hmm, then there's a mm-hmm. uh, there's quite a few uh, other women who are playing men's college baseball now. And there's Kelsey Whitmore, the first woman to play, get a hit and pitch in the Atlantic League, so a minor league baseball player woman. Um, and then we just have many, you know, uh, many more stories to tell. We've interviewed Lois Youngin, who played in the AAGPBL, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, um, that was oh. formed uh, around World War II. And mm-hmm. uh, so we have a lot, a lot of travel coming up uh, to answer your question, and a lot of it will be international. We're going to share stories of the game from places like Korea, Japan, Canada, Australia, and the women's game is far more developed in many of these countries. And then countries that are just getting started with uh, women's baseball, Uganda and France is in the very early stages. And, of course, Latin America, where the women's game is played, Mm -hmm. and Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and hopefully I get back to Cuba. Oh, yeah. And Jeff, since we we have you live on the air, we'd like to know whether you enjoyed presiding over the Hall of Fame inductions of so many international players and seeing fans from those countries waving flags, tooting horns, ringing bells, and cheering during the ceremonies at Clark Sports Center. Oh, very much so, Dan. I, I absolutely loved it. I was very lucky uh, uh, to serve as president there for a number of years. And um, it, you're right, the pageantry that comes with the Latino inductees is immense. And never in my life that I think I'd, I'd expect to walk down Main Street, Cooperstown at 8 in the morning, on induction weekend to the sound of uh, band playing and the smell of empanadas in the air. Uh, 13 <laughs> Latinos were inducted while I worked at the Hall of Fame, and uh, guys like Orlando Cepeda and Tony Perez, Roberto Alomar, Pedro Pudge, Vladdy, Mariano Rivera, the list goes on. And every time uh, a Latino was elected, I would, I would always say a few welcoming lines in Spanish on the MLB network when I was announcing who got in. And then again, six months later on the stage in Cooperstown uh, to try to assure that the fans uh, understood how much it meant to the Hall of Fame to have their countries uh, represented with the players being inducted. Mm-hmm. Was it the harsh winters of central New York that finally convinced you to move? I know you previously worked for the Yankees, but actually rooted for the Red Sox. <laughs> I actually rooted for both teams, Dan, and when they played each other, I rooted for whomever was behind in the standings, and if they played each other in the postseason, I would just watch the National League. But what convinced, what convinced me to move was the opportunity to move from the East Coast to the West Coast, to go from no major league teams in my town to two with the Giants and A's, <laughs> at least for now, and for the opportunity to work closely on grassroots baseball with Gene. And I won't lie, Dan, the weather is definitely better. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking tonight with Jeff Adelson and Gene Fruth about their book, Grassroots Baseball, and we have only about three minutes left. So, Gene, before we go, real quick, we'd like to know a little bit more about your background. How did you become a photographer, and what did you do before creating Grassroots Baseball with Jeff? Uh, I started my photography career as a portrait photographer in Northern California, not because it was my passion, but it was the first opportunity I had to become a professional photographer, and I worked with two women who had this thriving portrait business. It was all at the time black and white films. It was not digital at the mm-hmm. time. Um, on location, they did all their own printing. They had a dark room. And I learned a bit of dark room uh, work in high school. And so I offered to help print their work in exchange for going on shoots with them and learning from them. 
we eventually became partners and we we did go digital and opened a studio in this beautiful barn but I was still exploring other photography and trying to find my path, my path, you know, taking classes, working with other photographers, and I shot landscapes, weddings, food, wine bottles. And, and then I was coaching my son in rookie ball and then Little League, and I submitted oh. photos to, uh, of, another, of an all-star team, not my son's team, uh, to a local newspaper, and they offered me a job shooting youth, high school, and college sports. And I absolutely never looked back. I knew immediately that this is what... I wanted my path to be. The feeling of shooting sports mm. was like no other. I, I still have it today. Uh, okay, finally, how can Travel Rich Radio listeners buy Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin, or your Route 66 book, and what do they cost? Well, they are. Uh, we can get them at our website, Dan, which is grassrootsbaseball.org, and uh, we have uh, uh, Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin, is $55, and Grassroots Baseball Route 66 is $65. Okay, our guests tonight have been Jeff Idelson and Gene Truth, co-founders of Grassroots Baseball. Thank you so much for being our guests on Travelers Radio. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, Mary Ellen. This is so much fun. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. That is it for this edition of Travelers Radio. Next week, same time, same station, same writer, we'll talk to Flash Phelps of Sirius XM's 60s Gold about his travels. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg along with Mary Ellen Nugent Lee saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe. (laughs) 